This morning's reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Uh, if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, it's uh, page 1068. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day, the day approaching. to you. It's a wonderful day outside, and anytime we can come together to worship God, uh, it's a beautiful day on the inside also. Uh, We want to remind you that there are pamphlets out throughout the foyer about our Bible classes. The new quarter will begin uh, next Sunday morning, and so if you're looking for a particular class on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, and of course all of also the children's classes are listed on this front and back, one side is adult, one side is children. Also in this, you'll notice that we will have a new newly married class, and that class will meet in the lower fellowship hall, and in that class, Philip and John Michael will be the teachers. And so if any of you are young marrieds or about to be young marrieds uh, and you do not have a class home, we want to encourage you to be a part of that class. It will begin not today, but next Sunday morning. Also, uh, we have another adult class that is having dinner on the ground uh, in the back in the uh, area uh, where the, the grass and the trees back behind the building. And so we want to be sure, uh, they have asked me to be sure and invite all of our guests. Uh, You're welcome to join them. It will be at about 1130 following the second service. So you'll have time to go to Bible class and then probably, uh, depending on where you live, but you'll probably have time to go home and change clothes. And uh, you would enjoy the hamburgers, hot dogs. They're bringing all the fixings, everything. They're simply inviting you. They're going to enjoy some of the children's games and uh, just enjoy time uh, visiting together. So we want to encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. Also, uh, we're thankful to have Bob Turner with us uh, this morning, and he is going to be teaching our auditorium class. And he is from uh, the Denver uh, Bible School, Bible Institute, And uh, this is also where Ray Burchett uh, is studying right now. And, uh, of course, he's only a few weeks into this, but we're hearing great reports. And we're thankful. And I think I called that Denver. It's the Bear Valley Bible Institute there in Denver, Colorado. And uh, we're thankful that that, uh, Ray is there, and we're thankful that Bob is here. And so if you want to know more uh, about that great work, he'll spend some time talking about that as well as he is a tremendous uh, teacher and preacher. And so uh, you'll look forward to the Bible lesson that he'll be teaching uh, in that time. 
Why are you here today? I mean, really, not what you would tell somebody, but what God already knows. Why are you here today? I think about the three preachers that were having lunch, and one, one of them said, you know, we have the most terrible annoyance right now. We can't get the squirrels out of our building. And, and the other preacher said, you know, we had that same problem. We brought in professionals. We tried to trap them. We tried everything, and we couldn't get rid of them either. And the third one says, you know, we had that problem. We took care of it like that. He said, all we did was we baptized them, made them a member, and now we only see them twice a year, Christmas and Easter. How do you look at your responsibility, number one, of being here, but even being here, how do you view your responsibility? Is it simply that I'm here today, so let me put a a check mark somewhere? Or is it a lot more that is expected of us than simply a check mark? And interesting, how many times from, from this pulpit have we heard that worship is not entertainment. John 4, God's a spirit and they that worship Him. We don't worship each other. We don't come here to be the focus. Those that, that worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. But along with that, is that the only responsibility we have? Is it I, I went today, I focused 100% upon God, and God must be pleased. Is that enough? You know, we just had capably read for us one of the most clear texts that God gives us that deals with the topic not only of whether or not God expects us to be here, but also what He expects of us while we are here. Not everything. In other words, this text really doesn't go into worship, and we know He expects us to worship Him on Sunday, but He does give us some other things. And And sometimes I I like to refer to this section of verses in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, as a tossed salad. You know, the the idea of a a tossed salad, of course, the primary ingredient there is lettuce. Three times we've just read the words, let us. Look again, if you will, back in the 19th verse, we begin a sentence that's going to bring us to the 22nd verse of our first let us. This 19th verse is reminding us that it's only because of Jesus Christ, who is that great high priest, that you and I have the invitation, the opportunity to draw near to the Lord. And it's not just drawing near. He says, I want you to draw near with boldness. Remember, under the old covenant, we had the mercy seat of God, and mankind could only approach that mercy seat of God through one man on all of the earth. And it was the high priest. And he could only go in there one day out of the entire year. And so when Jesus died on the cross, there were four miracles that took place that day. But, but one of those miracles that took place was the renting of the veil from the top to bottom to show that God was renting it open. In other words, now mankind would not approach God through another man, but mankind would approach God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has made it available for us to approach God at any time. And we don't have to be timid about it. And we don't have to say, I wonder if God really wants to hear me right now. I wonder if God really wants me to draw close to him right now. I wonder if God really wants a relationship with me right now. And the veil was torn open by the blood of Jesus Christ to say, come in. I want to be close to you. And so that's why we read this first let us in in 22, let us, notice this, draw near. He's talking about drawing near to God. Let us draw near 
Now, there are preconditions to drawing near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, we can't draw near, according to God, we can't draw near unless we're drawing near with a true heart. God knows hypocrites and God hates hypocrisy. How many times have we heard people say, well, I tell you what, I, I really got fed up with the church where, where I used to attend because there's just a bunch of hypocrites there. Well, it's hard to be a religious hypocrite without being in some kind of church somewhere. And so when somebody says, seems like the, all the hypocrites are in church, well, all the religious ones are, or they wouldn't be hypocrites. That still doesn't give anybody a reason to be a hypocrite, but we're just using some common sense here. But then if you want to reason again something, if somebody really, really despises hypocrites... They ought not want to go to hell because every hypocrite that's not turned their life around, they will be separated from God because God only allows those who are not hypocrites to draw near to Him. In other words, we have to have a true heart. We have to be genuine. Now, would there be hypocrites in any body of believers that gather together? I assume there would be, but let's hope. And let's pray and let's work and let's strive to encourage each other that we could honestly say there's not a hypocrite among us. God will allow us to draw near with a true heart. But notice it's got to be full assurance. In other words, God wants all of our life devoted to Him. You remember the first and greatest commandment? It's with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Are we halfway in and halfway out? Are we trying to keep a leg in religion and a leg in the world? The Lord wants us to strip everything out of the world and totally devote ourselves to Him. But now notice it's also, He says, sprinkled from an evil conscience. In the Old Covenant, there were times where the priests would take blood and sprinkle upon the people. Here it's not the blood of an animal that's sprinkled upon us as children of God under the New Covenant. Upon us, he speaks here and says, I want your, your heart to be sprinkled. In other words, it's being able to say to God, I'm doing all I can do to fulfill your will. I have been forgiven. In other words, to become a Christian, there had to be a point in time where we repented. Lord, I'm trying my best to turn away. I've turned away from sin. I'm turning to you. And remember that very next phrase? was to be washed, our bodies washed. What's that? That's baptism. Repentance is an opportunity to say, Lord, I'm submitting to your will. Baptism is also submitting to God's will. And that's the point in time where His grace reaches us and our sins are forgiven. These very same two things is what is referred to in 1 Peter the third chapter in 21 where he explains baptism is not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but it's the answer of a good conscience towards God. Baptism and the good conscience go hand in hand. We can say, I know I've done the will of God and that's when God cleanses me. Now notice, I know we're going a little bit fast through this because we're really trying to get to the exact topic today, but I want you to see the setting that's here. And so the first let us is let us draw near to God. Our life and our worship should definitely be all about God. But as we make it about God, that means we're saying, God, what is your will for us? And so God says, okay, since you're approaching me and you're drawing near to me, let me give you a second condition that you should fulfill. And look at the next let us in verse 23. Let us hold 
fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he, that's talking about God, who promised is faithful. He says, okay, so as you're drawing near, don't do the thing that says, I tell you what, I'm going to draw near on Sunday mornings, but on Friday nights, I may be far away from him. I'm going to draw near on Sundays, but on Mondays where I work, it's just too difficult to be a Christian. The Lord says, listen, I'm looking for those who are true. They're not hypocrites. They're going to draw near every day of the week because when they draw near, they're not going to lose ground. They're going to hold fast. The original language is just as simple as the English here. The idea of hold, a grip, and fast is do not let go. Now, this may seem like a corny illustration, but if you walked by a neighbor's house and every time you walked by, day or night, they were holding a rope. You don't know why they're holding the rope, and it doesn't make sense. You don't know how they sleep. You don't, know, you don't know how they do this. But every time you see them, they're holding the rope, and they are not letting go. You know what the Lord wants us to be in our faith and in our hope? Hope is the expectation that God keeps His promises. We can know that from the past. Everything God said in the past of prophecy about the Messiah, He filled that when Jesus came. That proves to us He keeps His promises. And now there's a lot of promises out in the future of Jesus coming again and, and of heaven. He's built a place for us. So there's so many promises out in the future. How do you know they're true? We have hope in that. We have an expectation based on the past understanding and conviction of the faith. And so we have this hope. And He says, I want this conviction. I want this hope that you have. I want it to be something that you're that neighbor and you're holding that hope all the time. And somebody said, I tell you what, I've worked with them for 30 years and all I have ever seen is a faithful Christian. They've been my neighbor, she has been my neighbor for a decade and all I have ever seen is a faithful Christian. I've gone to school with them since we were in sixth grade and all the time they live the Christian life. Are we individuals that are drawing near to God and we're holding fast? And notice, without wavering. The word wavering, in one sense, means leaning. I might have shared with you before that my grandfather, on my mother's side, my grandfather had a farm, and he had a barn that was well built, except for one small problem. The foundation wasn't built well. And so the foundation began to give way on one side. And all of the years I was growing up, we would look at that barn, and we would just wonder, you know, like, when's it going to fall? I mean, like, you wouldn't walk up to this barn and say, does it look like that barn's leaning to you? You would walk up to that barn and say, wow, how's that barn still standing? It was wavering. It was leaning for years. Matter of fact, for close to two decades. And, and I remember in college getting a phone call and dad said, well, finally happened. So what's that, dad? He said, Paul Paul's barn finally fell. Obviously, it got to where in the latter years, we didn't keep livestock in it. No horses and anything we valued much. It didn't go in that barn. Why? Because if you valued it, you didn't put it at risk because it was leaning. Listen to me, brethren. You're probably about the only one right now, you and God, that knows whether or not you're holding fast or if you still look like you're holding fast, but you're starting to lean. We're not even supposed to, much less, be in the world. We're not supposed to love the world nor the things that are of the world. 1 John 2 and 15. Right now, where's your heart? Does it look like you're holding the rope, but the reality is you're already leaning? Maybe you've been leaning for a year. Maybe you've been leaning for five years. But listen, if you're leaning and you don't straighten it up, 
you're going to fall. You can't continue to lean and not one day fall. God wants us all to draw near to him because he loves us. He wants to spend eternity with us. And he wants to protect us from the one that would hurt us. He wants us to hold fast because that's where we're safe. That's where we're the strongest. And if we're leaning and we don't straighten it up, in other words, we don't... And the reason I use that phrase is, is I'm familiar with that phrase as a child. You know how many times I heard my mother say that? That was one of her lines. Straighten up, son. You understand what it is? We got to quit leaning. We, we have to straighten up and say, all right, Lord, I'm not a hypocrite. From heart to action, to mind to soul, I'm not a hypocrite. I'm standing with you, Lord. I'm not leaning. But notice that third. That third led us. It requires two verses here to complete it. But let's read this. 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What is the third? Let us. Isn't it interesting that the first one was draw near to God. The second one is about your faith. Hold on. Don't let go. But then the third one is about each other. Why are we here today? Absolutely we're here to worship in spirit and truth. But God... Is there something else you expect of me? And he says, absolutely there's something else. I expect you to walk in and begin considering the people around you. Consider means to behold. It means to notice. It means to perceive. In the time you've been here, and by the time you leave, Who will you have noticed? Who is it that you will have made a difference in your life because you are here today obeying God's will? We're thinking about being immersed into the love that God teaches us to have this month. And especially under that theme, we're looking at immersed into kindness. This is one of the best places to practice kindness. This is the place that we ought to walk in and be looking for that person that's hurting. Be looking to rejoice with that person that's rejoicing. This is the place where we ought to be looking for the person that's on the fringe, for the person who is young spiritually, for the person who is older. And Sunday is not only one of their brightest days because they worship the God that they've loved and served for decades, but this is the day that they see more people than any other day of the week. And do we act like they exist? That we notice them? That we care? Or do we share a pew with someone and literally, out of selfishness sake, well, I'm just tired this morning, I don't feel like... Or do we walk in and say, I'm here this morning to consider one another. And notice he says, in order. That word order is a very strong word. In other words, it goes back to rank and file. When you see an army lined up in rank, when you see an army in those those lines and and they're taking orders and they're responding together to to the authority that is over them, 
That's the idea of the word order. And we don't have time this morning. I wish we could go back and see this same word used in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. The last paragraph of the chapter is where things were out of order. And he closes that chapter by saying, do all things decently and in order. In other words, in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, when you're coming together, there are some things that are not orderly. And now here he comes in this passage and he says, I want you to consider one another in order. In other words, there are some requirements that I have for you. Okay, Lord, I believe you. If there's changes that need to be made in my life, I'm ready to hear your word this morning. What is it you want me to do when I come here? He says, I want you to behold each other in order. Here's what I want you to do. To stir. Some translations instead of stir up would say provoke. Now we're back to that one another again. To provoke, to stir up one another to love and to good works. Now if you have siblings growing up that were close to your age, you're going to know exactly what I mean. How many times has there been an argument going on among you and your siblings and and, and one of your parents walks up and says, Who started this? You know what's meant by that, right? In other words, there is something happening here and somebody stirred it up. Imagine this. God walks into his assembly and it's five minutes before it starts and you just hear and see love everywhere. And imagine God saying, who started this? That's exactly what I've been commanding. I have been commanding for individuals to provoke, to stir up love and good works. What better place is it to talk about the good that can happen in our lives, in the Lord's kingdom, and a reflection of the Lord's kingdom throughout our community and society? Wouldn't it be kind of awesome if we had like an unwritten rule here that says you can't walk in here and talk about things that, that about our, our, uh, you know, our society, our neighborhood, whatever, that's negative, that gets us down. What if we said when we walk in here, we want to talk about things that stir up love and good works. In other words, if there's something negative, let's talk about how we can fix it. If our local government isn't standing right, let's stir up some of our members to run for office in local government. That'd be a much better thing to stir up than just complaining. What is it that we can do to love and to stir up? But now notice this, he doesn't stop there. He lays out a plate full of thought there in 24, but then in 25, right beside that, he lays another parallel thought. It's kind of an opposite, though. He says, but now beware. What I'm asking you to do sounds real good in real life, but the reality is you're going to be tempted sometime to follow what other people do. And since I guess since the beginning of the church, there has been a temptation for some not to assemble together. And so now in 25, he says, all right, but in other words, if you're going to do these positive things in 24, you can't do those positive things and not be here. So he says, don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together. And then he throws in that next line, as the manner of some is. In other words, the behavior of some is going to be that 
They come sometime and they don't come sometime. Which one describes you? We're commanded, number one, to be here, but then number two, to consider one another and to stir up love and good works. If everyone attended like you, would we only have Sunday night worship occasionally, ever? Or would it be something that it would be embarrassing because we would have some guests to show up to visit on Sunday night, but if all the members attended like you, there'd be a lot of Sunday nights that the guests showed up, but nobody else showed up. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. But we're not going to be able to look at other people to get this one right. We're going to have to look at God. And so with that being said, he says, now let me tell you two more things I expect you to do while you're here. The next thing in 25 is he says, I expect you to exhort one another. That's literally call to one side exhortation, calling to one side. In other words, are you on the side of Jesus? Now you're calling others to stand on the side of Jesus also. You know, Paul said that he imitated Christ, so he invited others to imitate him. What a beautiful confidence of faith to be able to say, I'm on the side of Christ, I'd like for you to stand on the side of Christ. You know, in this sense, the word comfort and exhortation are very, very similar. You know the word comfort literally means to stand beside someone. Like when you go to comfort someone, it doesn't mean find the magic words to make the loss insignificant. You know that doesn't exist. There there are no magic words. There, There is no magic action. But you know what we all can do? We all can come to the side of that person and say, we'll walk through this time in your life with you. And what a comfort it is to know that someone's walking with you. That's literally what the Christian life is to be about. The Christian life, us coming together in worship is literally a regular reminder that we're not walking this way alone. You've heard me say many times, God did not save me to walk this way alone. He didn't save you to walk this way alone. He's walking with us. He wants us to draw even closer to Him. And He gave us a family, His children, where we're in this together. And we love each other. And we stir each other up to love and good works. And we remind each other constantly. We're on each other's side. We're on God's side. We're not stabbing each other in the back. We're not gossiping behind someone's back. We're not hateful or rude toward each other. We love each other. We're exhorting each other. We're on the same side. And here's one that you're just going to have to turn your radio off on the way to work tomorrow and think about this one. What is it that God means when He has one of His writers to say, and so much the more. That's really amazing to me. In other words, God gives us a list and says, here's what I expect when you come together. I expect you to notice each other, to stir each other up, to love and good works. I expect you to call each other to the side of Christ and be on each other's side. But also, there's so much more that you ought to be doing for each other. In other words, the implication is there, so do so much more. The much more. In other words, God's not asking us to fulfill a minimum. God's asking us to do so much more. And then, please understand, 
This isn't my opinion as a preacher and as a person. This is my responsibility to you as a preacher of the gospel. The Lord takes this topic of whether or not we attend and what we do while we're here. And he says, now let me let you understand that this is setting in the cradle of the day of judgment. Yes, God makes this an issue of heaven and hell. God says, the day is approaching. Why should I attend? The day is approaching. Why should I notice each other and encourage each other? The day is approaching. And then, if someone says, do you think that's really what he means? That's a fair question. None of us should study the Bible as if I know everything. That's a fair question. I mean, really. If I sat down one-on-one with you right now, I would, I would talk with you openly. That's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? That God would take the topic of forsaking the assembly and He would say, I want to talk to you now about judgment. And then, what are the next five or six verses? A real descriptive explanation to say, hey, I promise you, I'm talking to you not only about judgment, but about eternity. We don't have time to develop this, but I want you to see how serious this is to God because if, if we take the things that God takes seriously in our life, our life's blessed. The church is blessed. And so what is it that God wants us to see that's so serious? Look here in 26. We're going to read 26 and 27. Uh, so for if we sin willfully, and of course this is the very next sentence after being told not to forsake the assembly and to encourage each other. So if we sin willfully, in other words, it would be a decision to not attend. It would be a decision to attend and not encourage others. If we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so he says, listen, this is serious. And, and then he says, and if you don't think it's serious enough, let me remind you of this. If this would have happened under the old covenant, all that would have been required was two or three witnesses saying, I saw that individual not keep your law, God, and those individuals would be put to death. But then he says, now let's escalate this sum in the importance of it. And read with you, Will, 29 and following. So now he's going to say, now it's much more important than if it were under the old laws. 29, he says, oh, how much more or how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who, notice these three things, has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I would guess that there's some here that when we start talking about this morning, your first thought would probably be, the preacher wants Sunday night attendance to go up. I promise you that's not my motive. I'm not talking about let's have a better number. I'm not talking about, well, Wednesday night, let's be able to brag about this number. I'm talking about our souls. Lord, what do you want me to see? And he says, I want you to see the way I look at willful sin. When somebody just makes a decision, I'm not going to do right. He says, I see it like pushing my son on the ground and just saying, look at this, I can walk on Jesus' back. I see it as taking the blood that purchased this covenant that told us what the truth is 
and saying, I look at the blood of Christ just like it was water. It's a common thing to me. It has no value or beauty. Or he says, I look at it as taking the Spirit has revealed to us what the grace of God is, taking the Spirit of grace, saying it doesn't matter to me what grace is. Now, what do we expect God to do when we push His Son down and walk on Him? And we count His blood common. And we mock His Spirit and the grace that's offered. It's God who gave the very next statement. Just remember, God says, vengeance is mine. In other words, I will repay those who do that to my Son and to His blood, and to the Spirit. Friends, there's not anybody here perfect. But God's inviting every one of us to draw near and to hold fast and to notice each other, to love each other and to stir each other up in love and good works. He truly does expect us to stand beside each other And He knows, He knows that if we're not here, we're going to start leaning. Who are you going to believe? Satan will lie to you and say the leaning doesn't matter. Satan will lie to you and say whether or not you're here or not doesn't matter. And God takes all of that and He cradles it in the topic of some of the strongest verses we have about sin and judgment. This morning, I don't know where you are spiritually, but let's all take a step forward. We all have room to grow. We all have room to straighten up. We all have have room to tighten our grip. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. If we can help you this morning, you're ready to be immersed into Christ. Or if we can help you, you're ready to come back to the Lord. We'd all rejoice along with heaven if we can help you in any way. Come as we stand and as we sing.